Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bono, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. Today, I have a special guest, David Acker. He's an author, speaker, recognized authority on branding strategy, the vice chairman of Profit, a global brand and marketing consultancy. He's also the author of, correct me if I'm wrong, David, 18 books. That's about right, yes. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about brands and branding. Thank you for joining us. Sure, glad to be here. Let's start with my classic question number one, a little bit of a background. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how did you end up with profit and branding in general? Well, I uh, came out of college as a statistician and, and I became a professor at Berkeley. And uh, my early work was about statistical models of, of, uh, of, huh. of, of, you know, predicting the impact of advertising or marketing or branding on ROI uh, would be a typical uh, kind of article I would write and uh, the impact of market share on profitability and so on. But uh, and then I got into strategy, business strategy, and uh, and and then at the end of the 1980s, brand equity started to become important because people were recognizing that. Um, this emphasis on market share and emphasis on cost wasn't gaining any growth. And they were, in fact, destroying brand assets. And so they sort of uh, came to the common sense thing that we better start building assets and one of them is brands. And so um, I wrote my first branding book to define what brand equity was. And that that was now 30 years ago or something. But um, and what I defined it is, is it's really, uh, consists of three things. One is relevance, which is visibility and credibility. So people think that, yeah, this is an option. And the second is image, which involves not only, uh, functional things, but also emotional things. And the third thing is, uh, engagement and, uh, sort of having loyalty and, and, uh, at, at the, at the far side of the loyalty scale is is being engaged, being part of a community. And then uh, people said, yeah, well, this makes sense. How do you manage it? So I wrote my second book called Building Strong Brands on, on uh, how to manage brand equity. And basically my theory was that that you shouldn't hand it off to an advertising agency and ask them to develop one thought, one single word phrase or, or three word phrase. It's more than that. It's, it's eight dimensions, 12 dimensions. And, and some of those are more important than others, but it's multidimensional, especially mm -hmm. if you're in a service or B2B context. And, uh, that was one of my premises. And, um, uh, the other was that you don't start, you don't manage by brand by a fill in the box model. You don't say, you know, this is how you develop a brand strategy. You, you do, uh, you know, what's your personality? Check. What's your attribute people like? Check. What's your social benefit? Check. Uh, what's your mm. corporate values? Check. It's not a check out the box model. You, you ask yourself what you want your brand to stand for. 
And, and then whatever dimensions are relevant, that's what you use. So anyway, that was uh, Building Strong Brands, and it was refined in another book called Brand Leadership. And then I wrote a book on, on how do you manage portfolio brands called Strategic uh, uh, strategic Purport, Portfolio Strategy. And, and then I, I, um, I had so much stuff that I wrote a book called Akron Branding, which sort of was the, a digest of all those things, the 20 mm. major points from all my books. And then I started trying to apply branding to areas which it wasn't applied before, like storytelling. I wrote a book called uh, Creating Signature Stories, which meant you develop a story to give your message a, a context that people will actually attend to, they'll actually remember, and they'll actually uh, stop counter-arguing. And then I, I looked at disruptive innovation, and, and, and this is a major area that everybody sort of realizes the only way to grow is to engage in some kind of disruptive innovation to create what I call must-haves for the customer that define, redefines what they buy. But nobody had introduced brand in that conversation. All those books, Blue Ocean and and on and on, they, they don't mention branding. And mm. so uh, I wrote a book saying you need branding. You need it to become the exemplar. You need to position the new subcategory. You need to scale it rapidly. And you need to build barriers. And those are all branding jobs. So you mm. have to introduce branding into disruptive innovation. And my latest book is called The Pursuit of Purpose-Driven Branding. And what that does is to is to go to the arena where people are now struggling to try to do social good in, in the context of their business. Mm. And, uh, and again, uh, this is now become accepted, widely done, but there's uh, again, sort of branding is underrepresented in, in the whole concept and the application of the concept. So my book introduced branding. It said that you need to have signature programs that are branded to tell your story about your commitment and your passion. And then you need to use those signature stories to help a business. And uh, everybody uh, accepts now you need to help a business with your social effort, but they think you have to make windmills or you have to enjoy energy cost savings and then they stop. But they, the real mm. payoff is to help the business brand by giving it a uh, energy lift, by giving it an image lift, by giving it some more involvement. Mm. So that's the story you, of my professional life. Mm. In, in a way, you because it has been so rich, actually, in a way, it answers one of the other questions I had, which was how has it changed over time branding and and you know what you do and in a way you've been there over time and have reflected that change as you just said the latest book is on uh social impact which is something well, that when, yeah. when i started in, in 30 years ago to define brand equity um branding was not um respected what what actually branding management started in the 30s with procter and gamble model Mm. And Procter and Gamble, this guy Procter and Gamble, who later became Secretary of Defense at, in, in the United States, he was a very bright guy. But he was very young. He wrote a three-page memo explaining why he needed to hire some people. And they said, "What? What are these people going to do?" And he wrote a memo telling what they're going to do. And that became the PNG model. And what it said was, "You look at your uh, market. You find places where the sales are weak." 
And then you and you solve the problem by engaging in in promotions or advertising or better distribution or something. So it was uh, uh, it was very tactical. And mm-hmm. and through that, uh, through the last half century, that was the way people managed brands. And uh, and and it was stuff they could hand off to an agency, delegate. And so when brand equity came in, it really fundamentally changed the way branding, marketing, and organizations work. Because for the first time, uh, branding started and marketing started to have a seat at the executive table. There was a VP of marketing or a chief marketing officer that, that mm. got to be in, got to be involved in strategy and got to be involved in, in what kind of new products got involved in, in, uh, you know, the organizational culture. And, and, uh, and so that really, really changed marketing, changed organizations. And, and of course, that's a process that didn't happen overnight and it still, um, mm. has a ways to go. But uh, uh, for for the for it, but it's the picture today is far different than it was there. They're mm-hmm. far less likely to be focusing on short term sales. They're far less likely to delegate to an agency. In fact, that almost never done now. And uh, they're far less likely to exclude marketing from the ex- C suite. Mm-hmm. And a lot, I think, has changed as well in that with the transparency that now we have everybody's walking around with their phone and you know any information you can just like publish share goes around the world like in minutes um and the importance of a brand like you can't have the company is no no longer that closed box that you know something can happen behind the walls and then we sell something else as a story it's even like even your employees, effectively, you have to market yourself as much to them as you do to, to your audience. Yes. And that's, that's you certainly learn that when you get into uh, um, what kind of a social effort do you want to have and how do you want to communicate that? Because uh, a, a primary driver is employees. Employees don't want to work for companies that just want to make profits. They don't want to eat. They don't even want to work for companies that want to make insanely great products. Like Steve Jobs famously Mm. said, they want products that companies that are interested in doing social good, either directly or indirect. And, uh, um, and, and so when you develop a social program and you tie it to your business, um, the employee insistence is is one main reason. Now, there's also customers also, some customers also value that, some investors value that, but primarily it's employees. Mm. I want to go a step back on, since you mentioned you, you have a background in statistics, which is quite interesting, uh, and you started working on, on um, measuring the impact of a brand on return on investment. And that is something that like, it really like is close to me because I deal with uh, premium domain names as brand assets. And one of the questions I very, very oftentimes get and the problems that people have when they consider whether it's worth investing X amount in the right domain name for the business is like, how do I measure that impact? You know, how, how like a strong brand, how do I measure that? How does, how do I quantify that? How do I put a number on it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, uh, 
first of all, I, uh, I, in statistical analysis, it's really important to, to be careful of doing cross-sectional analysis. That means comparing one company versus another. Mm. Um, you, you, it's much better to use time series analysis to look at changes in brands and see what that change for a given company has to do with things like profitability. And, mm. um, and we did that. And what we found was that if, uh, uh, if you change brand equity, the impact on, on stock return is is nearly as great as if you improve a, the you know accounting profitability, and um, which everybody knows is is a prime mover for better or for worse for stock return. So brands make a difference. You can say that on the on the average, but um, uh, you, there's there's. You know, that, that really is not helpful if you're business A, because, you know, first of all, you're not a company. And second of all, um, that, what does that say about you? So for, uh, for a specific business, one thing you can do is look at role models, look at stories of, of people that have done something to their brand and seen an enormous jump in their business. And in my book on storytelling and in my book on, on, um, it, Subcategories. I have a lot of examples of that. So you can point to an example. Probably you can find one in your uh, business that has either destroyed their business or really mm. exploded their business because of something they did to their brand. And it's it's uh, pretty clear that was the answer. Um, and and then, but the real thing you got to do is you look at your business strategy, really enunciate your business strategy, and then ask the question. What kind of brand assets do I have to have to make that a success? That's a really the key question. And mm. uh, because when you look at business success, there's always six, six, seven or eight things that are indispensable to that success. If you mm. withdraw any one of them, it will fail. So it's pretty hard to uh, to say that any one of them, whether it's the people, your factories, your brand, your distribution, you, it's hard to say any one of them is is got this X rate of return. Because mm -hmm. on one hand, if you remove them, they got nothing. So they have a, a huge rate of return. But on the other hand, uh, if you have that alone and not the other things, you're not going to have much. Mm -hmm. So anyway... <clears throat> But that's the thought process. And uh, so in the first two chapters of my book, Ocker on Branding, I summarize all this. I summarize the some data and the ways you uh, can go about showing the, 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 va the financial value of a brand. So you might look at those two chapters. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I was like, I was going to make a note of which book sounds just old. Just, yeah, yeah, this is the, book. this is what the book looks like. Akra and Branding. Great. Where, where can one find those? Well, I, um, I don't know the distribution in France. Uh, and I don't even know if, uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I, I so don't, don't you have Amazon or something like that? I'll take yeah we do. <laughs> I'll I'll take I'll take and we'll include those in the in the links when we publish so people can just reach that. Um, on on that actually, I noticed you have your own name as a domain name. Uh, you also are part of uh, you the vice chairman of Profit, which which has profit.com. So I, I'm very curious about what are your thoughts on domain names. As well, I, I blog. I've blogged 370 times in the last, I don't know, six years. <clears throat> 
And you can find those blogs on either davidocker.com or on, on, on uh, um, profit.com. And so, um, so every week or so, I, I put out a, um, a piece, usually 500, 800 words, uh, exploring some topic or some case study or um, something that's caught my eye as, as really a good brand practice or a, uh, a, a problem that, that is related to branding. Mm. And um, what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence? And specifically, you said you blog every every week or, or every yeah every so often. So, what are your thoughts on how artificial intelligence is now already affecting storytelling and and generally brands? How they use it? How do you see that developing? Um, you know, I'm not the right person to ask about artificial intelligence. Um, I, uh, I I think that. One obvious use of it is to improve the uh, the use of uh, of uh, artificial intelligence to engage in conversations, maybe in a service context or an ordering context, mm-hmm. and so that could definitely improve that. Uh, and that's for sure. And uh, uh, an artificial intelligence can help you develop products and and so forth as well, but. Um, I am uh, kind of a skeptic of uh, of of the, the of the digital world in in several respects. One, uh, when Meta changed its name to from Facebook to Meta, I wrote a blog that uh, said that was a dumb thing to do. It got over a hundred thousand views. It's the biggest. Mm biggest audience I've ever gotten for a blog. Most of my blog posts get around five to 10,000, but wow. this got a uh, hundred thousand. And, and what I said was that the metaverse uh, may not be as great as you think, and you can have a metaverse program, but let's not have a, um, and let me give you two stories. Um, I'm a big believer of stories. Um, let's see. Uh, well, one story is about, um, uh, an ad or an article that famous article that was written in uh, uh, in the Harvard Business Review in 1970, and um, and uh, in that article they said that there's no going to be no more checkbooks. Checkbooks are dead because now we have the technology to replace checks, and who hmm. would write checks? And so everybody was the the anybody that made checkbooks their stock collapsed and and everybody thought maybe in a couple of years nobody's going to be writing checks check writing increased every year for 30 straight years after and 10 years after that it plateaued for 10 years and then it started a modest decline so here we are uh 55 years later people are still writing checks Mm. um I'll, i'll give you another data point um, in the, in the 1980s, uh, some the, a scanner data came in, you know, on your, your box at a grocery store, you have a little mm. symbol and they, they yeah. scan it. So now in the 1980s, uh, people could, they went into little small towns and they got all the data off every store and they got the data off every TV set, what they're watching. Mm-hmm. So now finally you could scientifically manage marketing and people mm. were so happy. 
And they did these enormous experiments. Some lasted two years. And they, they'd go into one home and show zero ads uh, uh, for a product. Another home, they'd show one. Another home, they'd show two. Another home, they'd show eight. And they could finally see what the value of ad expenditures were scientifically. They were mm. so happy because they, they finally, the one part of business they couldn't manage scientifically, now they could. So mm. they did the, all these experiments. And you know what, what they discovered? That the, that the way to, to improve sales was to give uh, sense off promotion, price promotions. Mm. That improved sales and nothing else did. <laughs> so what happened was they taught the consumers two things. They taught consumers that only price mattered. And they taught them to, if, if, if you want to buy one, wait till the next sale. It's just around the corner. It'll be in two mm. weeks, one week, whatever. Don't buy it at full price. They destroyed brands. Yeah. They actually destroyed brands and they destroyed profits. And so it took two or three years to have some of these brands recover from this terrible, terrible thing. Mm. So I worry about today with big data and, and so forth that we're going to do the same thing. We're going to focus on this week's sales and we're going to find out that brand destructive things will really improve next week's sales and we're going to destroy assets again. So anyway, mm. I, I'm a little skeptical about, um, well, a lot of things in the metaverse. Uh, I don't know about AI, but uh, that's probably more, um, you know, you know, powerful than others. Certainly, e-commerce has been prosperous. Certainly, digital digitalized communication with social media that's been ch uh, changing the world, and maybe AI will too. Mm. On that, you just gave some an example of of how things can go wrong when people are trying to you know get them right. What, in your experience, are some main things that you would say entrepreneurs oftentimes get when it comes to branding? Well, I, I'm I'm like you. As I got into digital innovation, and a lot of digital innovation doesn't come from big companies; it comes from startups. Mm. And uh, and and uh, you can speak to this more than I can. But um, isn't it true that startups are so preoccupied with their big idea? They're so uh, they're putting money into that and how you bring that to market, how you get a beta test and so on. And uh, and then they need accounting and they need selling and, uh, and, and they, and it's not as if they don't want to do branding or they don't understand it, but it is true. They don't understand it. Usually they have no staff. They don't even access the staff. They often don't have money to pay for access to staff that does branding. And so uh, they, they don't do branding or, or they, you know, like, you, you know, about naming, they just, they probably use the name they've been using, you know, this is product A. And you say, well, the name A isn't very grabbing, but uh, can, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. you, you must have stories that don't quit. And so uh, it's a real challenge for uh, a startup to, uh, to understand at the very outset, that uh, you need a brand. Now, every once in a while, you have a startup entrepreneur that's that's sort of gifted with branding talent mm. and insight, and uh, you know, then then he's 
he's he's in good place, but most do not. I totally agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And in in a way, many, 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 sadly, most actually uh, stories. And I have the experience from, uh, let's say, the past five coming up to probably six years now with where I deal with naming in domains. Before that, I had a digital agency where we were developing websites and software. So it was still in that space, working with entrepreneurs on their digital presence. Um, it's done backwards. It, it, it's literally like people go, oh, I, I just have that wonderful idea. I just need to get it out. Let's get the website. Let's do this. Let's do that. And we'll think about the branding. Actually, it's not even put in words. It's not even like we'll think about the branding later. It's like done later as it starts hitting them on the head. And they're like, there's something wrong here. And that's where they start. So th at there's another problem and it gets into naming too. And that is... Uh, to project your business strategy to mm -hmm. uh, because when you start, you understand, you know, you've got a product offering, you've got a market and uh, you, it's, it's imperative you win. Otherwise you're, you don't have nothing, but it's important to look ahead and, uh, and see what, what do you want to do in, in the future ongoing? And it might be that, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that thought it was really dumb to call Amazon, Amazon. Mm -hmm. They should have called it books.com. If they mm -hmm. had called it books.com, they would have had a lot better chance of winning at the outset. Mm -hmm. uh, but they didn't call it books.com. They called it Amazon because they knew from the outset that they wanted to be more than books. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so Amazon is just a wonderful name for what that company evolved into. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's something actually I I do say to, to people when we talk about names. It's it, it doesn't matter, like obviously you're starting out, you're testing something, you don't even know if it will work, but you have to always think ahead and and shape that starting yeah with the name and the domain name and the brand and, and what it stands for and, and all of that with that big vision in mind. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in that box and, and it's going to be a real struggle, if at all possible, to get out of it. Yeah, of course, you know, um, I mean, it, 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 it's there's a lot of things. It's not just the brand name that does it. There's all, um, mm, of course. that's only a small percentage of it. So if you have salesforce.com, which they uh, started off as a company that was going to help people's Salesforce be more efficient. Mm. Well, now they've moved far beyond helping Salesforce, but they, they've, uh, they've been able to make that name stand for more than helping Salesforces. And mm -hmm. so it's not impossible to do it, but it's, it's harder. Mm, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Salesforce because because uh, Mark uh, Mark uh, Benioff himself he he's very known in the main space because he has quite a big portfolio of very good names. So like they have Force.com, uh, Einstein.com. Just on top of my head, there's some other names, but yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's another thing that you, you get into branding. There's something uh, uh, you have a portfolio of brands. And as I mentioned, I wrote a book called uh, uh, Strategic Portfolio uh, Management or something. And anyway, um, that's a good example. So mm. you could you 
it's not just the company name you have to worry about. You have to worry about your, your whole system of names. And it's, it's a, a temptation for high tech startups is mm-hmm. to have, uh, sort of naming pr- promiscuity. You, you, you have too many names and mm-hmm. it, you end up confusing everybody. Um, and one of the things that, uh, our company does have to come in and clean up the portfolio. Because mm. it gets so confusing that even people inside the company don't understand what you, sh- what a customer should take off the branding shelf. So, um, and then you have a new, a new product and you sometimes get so paralyzed, you know, which brand to use to put on that product. And so you, you just, you, you know, you just get flustered. So mm. yeah, uh, uh, multiple brands are, are really powerful, but uh, they have to be managed as a family, as a group. Mm. I'm, I'm glad you actually touched on uh, your company. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, who can reach out to you personally and, and profit as a, as a company and for what services, what do you offer? Well, we uh, started off as a branding company, and then we did things like design and c- consumer insights and uh, um, and websites and so on. But uh, but now we are uh, in a much broader space. We help people with a digital transformation, changing their organization. Uh, so not only the brand, but the culture and the people and and the strategy and. Um, so anyway, we we help with business strategy and uh but but either brand is the uh, sort of this the the uh um are are one of our perspectives or it's it's something that we are able to to build into the whole process. So but we have offices in uh uh in Munich, in Berlin, in uh uh Zurich and in London. Oh. And in far the far east, we got one in Dubai too. Wonderful. What was what's the story behind the name? Why profit? Well, profit started in 1890 as a uh, market research company, and that's a really good example. Um, mm. uh, and profit was kind of a cute name for a market research company because you kind of get insight and you can see ahead. You're kind of like a profit. Mm. And then and then we got into branding. Well, then it turns out nobody paid for market research, but they did pay for insights. So we sort of morphed into a branding company and I joined it about uh, 10 years later, but, uh, it, we came, uh, um, a branding company and, uh, uh, and then they, uh, the name didn't really work. And, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, lately when we're doing business in the far East, it, it, near east it really doesn't work but so we said we got to change the name and and then uh, the then owner said we can't change the name we own the url profit.com <laughs> so we can't change the name because we'd never be able to get another good url they're all taken <laughs> you know consulting.com is playing brand.com it's all taken so we have to stick with profit.com and mm-hmm. uh so it's, it's, you can't, I have to spell it for everybody. And if there's any associations, they're all bad. So, um, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a really good example of how you should be careful of your name at the outset. 
It's funny because you 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 have that we can't change the name because we have the URL. I usually deal with people who have the other problem where like they would be called uh, I don't know examplemarketing.com and they want to get example.com and you actually have the right URL but you you have another problem that's that's quite unique. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it's really uh interesting and uh uh i mean you know people ask you for naming they ask me for branding but it's always a bigger challenge than that mm. you really have to get involved in their business strategy and their their corporate values and what they want to stand for and uh it's more than just names it's more than just a brand no, I think I like the way you described it earlier. The you you had that question of like what are the the key uh, aspects of like how I see success, and and those are very individual for one thing because every business has their own goals and their own mission, and all of that is it, it cannot be the same for you know two businesses, let alone you know thousands and, and hundreds. So based on that that list of key elements would be different and then they within themselves those elements work together as well you can take you know one and say oh that's the one that does it all so yeah let's um wrap it up i think you uh, you had your latest book what are you up to this year what are you what are you doing that yeah, well i'm uh, i'm spending all my time uh, working with nonprofits and and companies to try to and this is what the book looks like it's, a, it's the uh, future of purpose driven branding and uh, I am, um, I am just really astounded by the fact that that uh, branding is so important to do this right you you mm-hmm. need I mean people think they they've They've done their job when they have a bunch of grants they give out, a volunteer program for their employees. Um, they have uh, some energy goals, and maybe they fill out an ESG report, which is which is usually worthless. And uh, uh, and at the end of the day, they look like everybody else. They look like they're just in, engaged in tokenism or 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 not serious, and. Uh, and they need to communicate it and uh, just to be successful as a, as a program. And so they need signature programs, you know, like Dove Real Beauty Program or Life Voice mm-hmm. Help a Child Reach 5 Program uh, or Hellman's Make Taste Not Waste Program. for us. Mm. And they need a branded program because uh, without a brand, it's really hard to communicate who you are, what you do or why you mm. do it. And uh, so they need a brand, but they also need a brand to perform a, a another job, which is to help the business, to help the business by elevating the business brand, by giving it more energy, by giving it more uh, stakeholder involvement. And uh, and if you look at, at their brand and you ask yourself, how can a signature brand help that brand? And then you embed it in the business strategy to make that happen. And then you find out that, well, if you're helping the business, it's going to really be motivated to give you more resources and your social program is going to take off mm-hmm. and uh, and so on. And so these successful social programs have been in existence for 10, 20, 30 years. 
we're not talking about a, a some sort of fall promotion here. We're talking about a real commitment mm-hmm. and, a, and, and a real in-depth understanding of the problem you're dealing with, whether it's mm-hmm. a food waste or kids dying under 12 or, or uh, women's self-esteem. And, um, and so branding is, is uh, um, really important. So I talk on here, the, uh, the link between business strategy and, and uh, the social programs. And that link is branding, the branded social mm-hmm. programs and the, and the business brand. Um, and so I talk about signature programs that impact and inspire um, and, and how, how important that is to really have an effective program. Mm. Great. Well, that, that's been absolutely wonderful and very insightful and I think very timely as well. Um, I've been talking to a lot of my guests and I almost don't really have a, a, an interview there where we don't mention in some way or another how demanding uh, customers are nowadays. We as consumers, how demanding we are and, and, and definitely that social aspect of any business, I just can't see newer or established brands surviving without it. So thank you. That's been a pleasure. Um, thanks. And we'll include all the links that you mentioned in the write-up for, for the podcast so that our guests can reach them. Thanks. It's been Okay. A thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.